The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from powerful women leaders who will share their playbooks on how to manage smarter, be more successful, and change your game. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. And we have to change that intro you just heard because it said you'll hear from the women leaders. Well, we've got a man, male leader today on the show. I want to make sure he feels equally welcome. I'll get to that in a minute. So we might have to go back and redo the intro. I'll talk to our executive producer about that. So the buzz today is show her the money. That's right. I said, show her the money. All right, let's get started. In her recent Oscars acceptance speech, actress Patricia Arquette made an impassioned plea for gender pay equality for women everywhere. Since then, well, the idea just seems to have caught fire, maybe not for the first time, but all over again. Everybody has an opinion on this from Mark Benioff, you all know who he is, to the Pope. What? The Pope? Well, good that he's weighing in because a lot of people listen to him. Well, game-changing radio, women, women's radio executive producer Jenny Dearborn has a take on this. She says, it is time for organizations to examine admit to and erase their pay gaps. That's a very powerful statement from Jenny. She adds, as employees and consumers, we must hold companies accountable to right the decades of wrongs in denying women equal pay. Rah, rah, Jenny, bravo, well put. So it's time for us all to get the facts. How bad really is it? Is it that bad? Where is it better? Where is it worse? We have to move this important challenge forward in the global workplace. I think it's everybody's job to do that. We have assembled a wonderful panel, two powerful women leaders and one powerful male leader, there you go, who are going to talk to us today and see if we can set the table straight, set straight what's really happening and what can we all do about it. First up on the panel, I'm very pleased to welcome Aniela Ungarisen. She's the co-founder of the EDGE Certified Foundation. That's E-D-G-E, all in caps. They are running the first global gender certification for workplace gender equality. And here's a quote she sent me. First part of the quote is from Tom Peters. You know who he is in search of excellence. He says, what gets measured gets done. And Aniela ad- adds to that. It's no different when it comes to pay equity. Aniela, welcome to the show. How are you today? Good morning, Bonnie. I'm very well, thank you. And you're in Switzerland. What time of the day is it there? Well, it's 6 o'clock in the afternoon in Switzerland. Okay, well, I'm going to say good almost evening to you. So welcome, Aniela. Very interesting quote. I love this five very powerful words from Tom Peters. We've heard it before, but obviously not in this context because this is a new topic. So why don't you tell me why you picked this quote and how it relates to gender pay equality. Go ahead, Aniela. 
So, you know, Bonnie, it's, it's very interesting in hearing you say that you heard it very often, but not within this context. And it is quite amazing because when we look at gender equality in the workplace in general, equal pay for equivalent work part is the most quantitative aspect of gender equality in the workplace, while all the other parts do involve a cultural component. So it's both an art and a science. When it comes to pay equity, it's pure science. It's mathematics. There is no straightforward, more straightforward issue that can be tackled than equal pay for equivalent work. And not to mention that this is a legal obligation in most of the countries around the world. So we are not even talking about a discretionary item. We are talking about respecting legal requirements. So when it comes to pay equity, things are simple, straightforward. Measure, be transparent, be accountable, put the tough question on the table, measure where you stand in terms of pay equity, and then get, do what needs to be done uh, in order to ensure that men and women are equally valued uh, for their different contributions they bring to the table to the success of their company. Very well put, Aniela. Thanks for starting us off on the topic. I'm intrigued. We all know pay is a matter of math. We have the balance sheet. We have how much money do we have, how many people do we employ, what is their value to the company. Uh, it really shouldn't matter, but it has, and it does, and there's so much at stake. So I like the way you've set us up for this, and in an ideal world, it would just be, hey, Five people are doing this job. Who cares what gender they are? Let's give them equal pay and equal opportunity to advance in their career. Let's see where we take this later in the conversation. And again, welcome, Aniela Ungarisen. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's almost uh, evening time for you, so I can't wait when we get back to you to find out what you're drinking or what you're planning to drink after the show. But I digress. Let's bring on our second panelist, a newcomer also to Game Changers Radio. It's Dan Briskin. He's the Vice President of Global Employee Relations at Gap. Inc. And Dan has sent me a quote from Frank A. Clark. I'll quickly read who he is. I, I was very intrigued. He's an American lawyer and politician who had a 50-year career, including 20 in U.S. Congress. And there's some other well-known facts about him Dan might bring up. I won't hear. The quote is, we find comfort among those who agree with us and growth among those who don't. Very profound. Dan Briskin, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing great, thank you, and I'm just absolutely pleased to be apparently the first male on this show. So thanks so much for inviting me. I saw, the, just... I, I saw the, um, the promo for it about hearing from powerful women. I'm like, wait, so I'm glad you opened with that. Appreciate it. I had to. I tried to pay great attention. You know, gender pay equality may be our topic, Dan Briskin, but gender guest equality is our mantra. <laughs> so there. So we're taking it to another level. So please tell me about this interesting quote from Frank Clark. Uh, how does it relate to our topic? And I, I I like these words. It sounds like me that these are to me that these are words to live by. So go ahead. Well, absolutely. So I love this quote because to me it actually embodies a couple of different messages that are important for me and I think us at Gap. Uh, number one, it really connotes um, sort of a, an approach around growth mindset that we try to adopt here at the company, and that is to make sure that in, in order to make improvement on any topic, whether it be our business. Um, whether it be on issues of gender equality, um, you need to be open to uh, learning that every opportunity that we have, every failure that we have actually is an opportunity to grow and to move and to progress. So, um, so it, it, again, it's, it's when you encounter 
um, conflict and actually um, sometimes even failure uh, that can help you move the ball forward. The other thing that it, that quote speaks to me is a message around inclusion. And mm-hmm. too often, I think that we um, surround ourselves with folks who agree with us. And somebody was very fond of saying that, you know, if you've got you know three people in the room and everyone agrees, uh, you've actually got two redundant people. Um, the only way to actually make progress in moving the ball forward um, is to get robust um, discussion and debate about topics. And you can't do that if everyone around you is exactly the same, the same background, the same, um, same thought processes, et cetera. So um, that really links to me for you know, gender equality is that the studies are pretty clear that, um, that the businesses that are most successful are the ones who have the most diverse boards, the most diverse management teams and leadership teams. And that's what we try to cultivate here at Gap Inc. is um, a broad array of folks around the table who can engage in robust debate without uh, retribution. And we think that through that kind of process, we're going to get to the best outcome and to help you know, push our business forward. So I think it has a lot to say about um, kind of how a company can be successful is to have a really inclusive and diverse uh, array of folks around the table. Thank you for joining us, Dan. Looking forward to a lot more insights from you. And let me bring on our third panelist. She is Bianca McCann. She's a global HR leader of the HR Expert Network at SAP. And this is a quote whose attribution is unknown, but it may sound very familiar to our listeners. The quote from Bianca is, if better is possible, good is not enough. Love that. Bianca McCann, welcome. How are you today? Hey, Bonnie. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Very well. Thanks for joining us. So talk to me. Interesting quote. Eight very powerful little words. If better is possible, good is not enough. Is this one of the mantras you live by, Bianca? It definitely is. I actually learned this quote from an intern that I had about a decade ago who was just outstanding. She was um, graduating for the summer, and she came in and, and handed me this plaque with this quote on it and said, that was her takeaway from her experience working with me throughout the summer. So it was the first time I think that I had good self-awareness, I think, uh, in a really positive way. But also, um, it's become sort of my mantra. So I sort of seized that experience that she had uh, and, and thought about how I can make that my own. And the thing about these words, when I think about them, I sort of think anyone who pushes the envelope must hear this in their ear, right, when they're pushing to that next level, whether you're a business leader, whether it's a particular issue like we'll talk about today, whether you're an athlete or a student or a mother who wants more for her children. I think this quote is really inspirational. It really pushes us the needle and uh, inspires us towards change. So I just love it. Thank you very much. It reminds me of... Um Bianca, there was a movie, uh, I'm trying to remember, uh, I, it was a couple of months ago, uh, Good Whiplash, that's it, I looked it up, Whiplash, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Do you remember that from Whiplash? I don't, but I might have to uh, claim that quote as one of my new ones, Bonnie, that's a good one. I think you will. It was a, a movie about a, a music teacher who brutalized his students into perfection. 
physical, mental, every type of way. I didn't see it, but I saw the trailers enough to know it was not for me. And it's a very interesting actor who played the part of the teacher. I'm not going to look it up right now. But anyway, go take a look at Whiplash. It's from 2014. You might find it very interesting. Good job. The worst two words in the English language. So we thank you very much, Bianca. We've got a lot of words to live by here. Our, uh, our panelists have certainly shared. We've got a quote from Tom Peters, one from Frank A. Clark, and one from perhaps the movie Whiplash, a little permutation there. I'm going to start circle back to Aniela Ungarisen. And Aniela, I have to congratulate you on your interview in the Financial Times. I've been hearing a lot about it, so congratulations on that. And I tweeted that this morning. Uh, somebody at your company told me that the interview came out yesterday. So uh, as we say here in New York, Mazel tov on that. I'm sure it was a good profile. Aniela, you're in Switzerland. It's now uh, 6.14 p.m. And I want to know what's in your cup? What are you drinking right now or what do you plan to drink after the show? Go ahead. Daniela. So, Bonnie, I will confirm all the stereotypes about Europeans. So, I have a cup of tea uh, in front of me, uh, and uh, it's a cup of white tea. It's a Chinese white tea called Inzen. And what I like about this tea is that the name is just a fantastic name, In. It's uh, the Chinese name for the feminine energy, and Zen, it's obviously the serenity. So, I am hopefully drinking uh, the serenity of the feminine energy. I love that. And and is there any favorite wine you're planning to drink in the evening? And and what part of Switzerland are you in? I don't remember if you said so, Aniela. I am in Zurich, uh, which is a German-speaking part of Switzerland. Um, and I, I actually, I'm a very reasonable person, at least on the outside, <laughs> so I do not drink uh, either wine or alcohol. So I, I will continue to stay with, uh, with my tea. It will probably I... get darker and darker as the evening <laughs> progresses, so I will go towards the black ones. But for now, I'm with a pure in Zen. Thank you very much. That was very interesting, Aniela. Dan Briskin, I won't ask you to top that. You're on your own, my friend. What are you drinking right now, or <laughs> what are you planning to drink? Or what's your favorite any kind of drink, Dan? You know the drill. Well, Talk to me. Let me tell you. So I've got teenage, two teenage kids, actually, Amanda and Jonah, who gave me a Father's Day present last year, which is in and of itself a momentous thing. Um, and it was a Nutribullet. <laughs> Uh, which, if you don't know what that oh, is, it's basically a juicer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and in any event, since that time, uh, I have woken up and started my day every morning with a basically a whole fruit uh, smoothie. That it looks kind of gross, I have to say. It's sort of green, brownish look because it's got kale in it. But then it's, I put whatever great fresh fruit I have in my uh, in my uh, in my uh, refrigerator. So this morning it was. Blueberries, strawberries, and bananas with a little bit of protein powder. So that's what I'm drinking right now. Oh, wow. You sound super healthy there. Well, <clears throat> I'm thinking we found comfort among those who agree with us. Uh, I bought a very dear friend a Nutribullet or something similar to that, and uh, he loves his kale drinks as well. And, and Danny tells me, even if they taste like you-know-what, and I won't mention any of a variety of four-letter words to describe, he knows they're healthy and he drinks them anyway. So there you go. Just <laughs> well, and, and, mine tastes good, and, I, and I'm told uh, that they're going to contribute to my longevity. There we go. There you go. And I'm sure that's what your kids want. Do you use any sweetener like uh, agave syrup or anything in there, or just all natural? Just all natural. Okay, boy, you're a you're a, a true-blooded diehard there. I appreciate that. Be- Bianca McCann, I'm afraid to ask you what you're drinking. Is we've got two very interesting stories here, but I know you're going to measure up. Talk to me, Bianca. What's in your cup right now, or what are you planning to drink, or just what's your favorite drink? 
All right. Well, let's see how I can do. So it's in my cup right now, Bonnie. Uh, I actually I live in Oakland, California, and I live one block away from this amazing coffee roaster. They're all sustainable, you know, fair trade, that sort of stuff. And it's called Bicycle Coffee. And what's really cool about Bicycle Coffee is they literally deliver all of their coffee via bicycle all over the Bay Area. So you'll find it in a couple of restaurants and stores, all delivered via bicycle. And I sweetened with agave syrup, so I'm glad that you brought that up. So I'm not quite as healthy as Dan, but I am on a path to success, I think, one agave syrup bottle at a time. Well, I appreciate that. I just looked it up. I'm pretty fast on the on the lookup uptake here, and it's BicycleCoffeeCO.com. So Bicycle Coffee Company, it says, we roast quality coffee grown by sustainable farms and deliver it by bicycle. And if you Google it, you will see some interesting images of this cart, the type of cart you might see in, in Manhattan, actually, a bicycle with this yeah. brown cart, and right on the cart, it's written all in capital letters. It looks like handwritten in white paint, Bicycle coffees with a looks like a little uh, trademark there very interesting thank you very much well what the three of you don't know since you've never met me before is they don't let bonnie have any caffeine on radio show days and i think you can figure out why but i am allowed to have a straw in my water so there good new york tap water long island tap water tastes great to me and a straw and it's a it's a pink straw so we're in the pink today we're having a very interesting conversation we're going to get down to brass tacks and and hit pay dirt here in a few minutes our top today a very important one gender pay equality how to make real progress we're not just talking about it we're going to talk about how to do something about it and make changes shout out to our executive producer jenny dearborn wherever you are in the world i think we're going to have a great conversation on our roundtable my wonderful panelists today are Angela ungarisen who's calling from switzerland dan briskin from gap inc and bianca mccann from sap and Angela, of course is from edge certified foundation we're going to be right back so don't even think of touching that man that app, that dial, Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. For women, the pressure to achieve at work is stronger, the hours longer, and the struggle for respect and authority more complex than ever. You want guidance on how to succeed, and you are not alone. Tune in to hear today's powerful women leaders help you make sense of it all. They will get you thinking about how to manage smarter. They will analyze how you can change the game. And they will share their playbooks on how you can make it happen. Game Changing Women is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. listening to Game Changing Women, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Women. Here we are. We're back on Game Changing Women Radio. Thanks for joining us. We are speaking today with Aniela Ungarisen, Dan Briskin, and Bianca McCann, three very articulate, uh, 
insightful, savvy leaders. We've got two women and a man, and they're strong, powerful leaders, going back to our conversation about the intro to the show. And we're talking about gender pay equality, a very serious topic. And uh, believe me, if Patricia Arquette used uh, the Academy Awards acceptance speech a few months ago as a soapbox for this, and Mark Benioff from Salesforce.com and the Pope weighed in, you know it's a serious topic. And Yella, we're going to kick off the roundtable with something you sent me in your notes, a very basic comment here. You say pay equity is the critical driver for gender equality because it is the most concrete expression of the fact that a company values equally employees performing equivalent jobs beyond the differences in how they go about it. This is a huge statement, Aniela. Why don't you uh, explain it for us, expand it, and take it anywhere you want it to go. Very good. So, indeed, Bonnie, it's my personal belief that if companies were aligned on the importance of pay equity in ensuring access to the right talent, we would be much further along on the path towards a more equal representation of men and women in the workplace. And the reason why I'm saying that is that we have conducted a, a global study at the Edge Certified Foundation last year trying to understand from all the programs that companies implement to ensure that the female talent thrives in the workplace. Uh, what are those programs that are the most impactful in terms of more equal representation? And we looked at all the programs that, that you might think of, starting with mentoring, sponsorship, uh, access to leadership development training, mm-hmm. flexible working, all sorts of, of offerings uh, that help women develop and grow in the workforce. And then we looked at pay equity. And what do you think we found out? We found out that from all the programs that companies can put in place, the one program, the one activity that has the strongest correlation with female representation both now, and it's a strong predictor of positive trends in the future, it's equal pay. None, none of the other programs that I mentioned showed such a strong impact uh, on the female representation as pay equity. So we come back to exactly what you said in the very beginning, valuing the employees. It's critical to, to attract, retain, develop, and motivate the right type of talent. And the pay and compensation it's the most concrete expression of the fact that companies do value their employees. And this finding correlates very well with something else that we found out. Um, we, we wanted to try to understand what is the main reason why women leave corporations. Because mm-hmm. there is a myth out there that women leave corporations because of work-life issues, right? This is what, uh, what, what we hear on and on again. They opt out of the workforce. They slow down. And what we found out uh, when we interviewed um, uh, a great number of of women across countries and across industries about the real reason why they leave companies is because they do not feel valued. And they do not feel valued uh, both in terms of pay equity uh, and uh, also sometimes in terms of the different contributions they bring to the table. But again, pay equity is this game changer that helps women make career decisions, and even stay in the workforce. 
And Yella, very interesting. And what intrigues me most about this statement is the last few words. And I'm going to have Dan chime in on this as well as Bianca. You say uh, employees performing equivalent jobs beyond the differences in how they go about it. This to me is broader than just gender. It's different people come to the table with different approaches. We hire for inclusivity. We hire for diversity, hopefully today. And each of us comes with our own footprint, our own, I call it the quilt of our lives. We all come with different experiences. So you might have men and women performing a job, the equivalent job, and in such a diverse way, but they're getting it done. And it's the beauty of that diversity that makes the workforce so interesting. I'm going to, uh, Aniela, do you agree with that before I bring Dan in here? Yes, I, I completely agree. And then it's it's very, very interesting, Bonnie, that you mentioned the fact that actually inclusivity, um, it's beyond just the gender aspect. Um, gender, it's one aspect of diversity that helps companies' cultures evolve so that the different types of diversities can thrive. So I completely agree. Thank you. Dan Briskin, want to hear what you have to say. Well, so I absolutely agree that um, taking, you know, pay equality or having that not be part of the equation in terms of it being a decision point for whether women are going to stay or go or be attracted to your company is absolutely where you want to be. But there's definitely a lot of other factors that are going to I think, um, you know, relate to that or contribute to how women are assessed. Your a company's performance management system, for instance, often, um, and studies show that, often can be a basis for um, either conscious or unconscious bias about how we're evaluating mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, and uh, you know, progressing women in their careers. That's why at GAP we actually kind of overhauled our performance management system over the past couple of years, did away with written performance reviews because we've, studies have shown, again, that they are rife with, um, you know, bias in them. And we're really trying to change our culture here to focus on more ongoing uh, conversations that are based solely on the results oriented. So your point, Bonnie, about different people come to different jobs with different approaches but are delivering great results for here at GAP, that's what we're really trying to emphasize is, um, you, know, you know, people may have different approaches, and those different approaches, is from my quote uh, at the beginning, really are going to mm-hmm. yield better results. And if we're focusing on the end result as opposed to someone's stylistic things, that's really w- where we want to be focusing there. For sure. Interesting. Dan, before I, I bring Bianca into this and then we go around the table spontaneously, question, that must have been a very bold move that took a lot of thought and a lot of preparation to get rid of written reviews. Uh, how how close to that precipice did, did your company come before you actually took the leap of faith? Well, it, certainly it wasn't without controversy. Um, performance mm-hmm. reviews have obviously been the holy grail of any performance uh, management system for years and years. Yep. And they're, um, you know, they're, they're, they can be very comforting in a way. It kind of goes back to the quote. Um, you know, our, our performance evaluation system was tied into our compensation system. So, you know, we had a, you know, a written evaluation that then spit out a rating for that person that then um, equated to a, you know, a range of what someone would get in terms of a raise. And so to the extent there's any bias in that, then that would be perpetuated through pay. So, again, um, it, 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 when we really analyzed it, Bonnie, what we saw was that 
the you know the written the process of going through a written evaluation once a year where everyone saved up all of their things that they were mm-hmm. thinking about someone's performance at the end of the year was really not delivering the kind of results in terms of performance uh, that we wanted. So uh, it wasn't an easy lift, but um, but we got mm-hmm. everyone there eventually. Thank you for your candor, and thanks for indulging my question, Dan. I was very intrigued. Bianca McCann, SAP, want to hear from you. Thoughts on what Aniela proposed first, what we're talking about, and as well as Dan's comments. Please join us, Bianca. Absolutely. I, I want to introduce the idea. I'm thinking about Dan's point and Aniela's point, the idea of job climate, because I think that sort of ties the two concepts together. So regarding uh, people bringing different different elements, different gusto into the job that they're doing, um, which is really the beauty, right? That's the goal of inclusion, and that's where the profitability comes from innovative thought, um, team, diverse teams coming together. But what also happens, interestingly enough, is that these unconscious stereotypes, this bias could occur, both with women or men, uh, vice versa. It doesn't make a difference. But people can view a job as this is how it's done. Um, let's take technologists or uh, any of the STEM-related uh, fields. When we look at engineers, for example, the job climate of, of being an engineer is very male-dominated. And so what happens as a result of that domination by, by males in the field is that we attribute, in this case, engineering, to have a lot of male characteristics. And people who do that job well will then inherently be the ones that have those similar characteristics. So I think that sort of, sort of vicious cycle that that begins to feed uh, is the sense that you know women who are joining men into the in this example the engineering space have to either act like men or maybe self-select out because the job climate itself is is not inclusive because it hasn't evolved uh, into that space. So that's my first thought on Aniela's, and then Dan, you know, I love what the Gap has been doing. I've heard a lot about that. It's very impressive. I think um, one thing that I think about when I think about what GAF's doing and really the system that's be- behind performance evaluations is really the idea of how do you have a gender-neutral um, career and talent management approach in general? So, for example, um, how do you really think about how you're evaluating leadership at your company? Who's doing the evaluation of what great attributes look like? Are they mostly male leaders? Do they sound a lot like male attributes? Can we get a little deeper into um, what goes in behind the evaluation? So that's my thoughts on that piece. Mm, Dan? No, I think that's right. I think it's um, you know, I think it's very important in terms of who's in those seats evaluating. I mean, we're we're fortunate in that we enjoy you know seventy four percent you know female workforce, uh, and more than fifty percent of our executives are women. So um, so we do have. Uh, women in the in the you know seats where they are evaluating uh, folks and helping to progress their careers, but um, you're right. Um, we see we see um, you know people see and evaluate performance through their own lens. Um, I think that people um, people seem to uh, you know tend to um, like the way people work if they work similar to them. So that's why it's really important to have um, different faces and different seats to be able to bring a diversity of um, thought and a diversity of evaluation, for sure. I completely agree with that. Interesting. Aniela, join us because we've been talking about a topic you opened in the beginning of our roundtable. We've got some great thoughts from Dan and Bianca. So what do you think? Agree, disagree? Absolutely. But one of, one of the interesting things is that, you know, by and large, uh, companies still 
think about themselves as being meritocracies. So I think that, you know, with very rare exceptions such as GAP, you know, performance, performance ratings and performance evaluations um, are still considered as being that sign that the company is a meritocracy and it's paying the best performers. Now, this is what I like so much about the mathematical quantitative aspect of, of, of gender pay gap. So uh, one of the things that this gender pay gap analysis uh, allows companies to do is to say, well, if you look at all the men and all the women in your company, and then we try to understand who are the ones that have similar types of jobs, uh, similar characteristics when it comes to performance, when it comes to education, when it comes to seniority. Let's try and understand how much of the differences between men and women in the workplace can be explained by these objective factors. And then we factor in performance, and we say, well, you know, companies are meritocracies, so performance is, is an objective factor and performance rating. So we run that analysis, and then if we find out that performance does explain a lot of the difference between the pay of men and women, we can say, yes, it does explain the difference in pay, but it also shows something else, that men as a group are evaluated in a very different way than women as a group, because that's, that's what we found out. The analysis shows that performance explains gender pay gap. So that allows us to quantify that very subtle aspect of saying, well, if, if men as a group are uh, rated so differently than women as a group, then there might be something uh, that needs to be closer looked upon in the performance evaluation process. So, again, that, that's what I love so much about this topic uh, of, of, um, of gender pay equity and about the, the science behind it, because it allows to measure and to quantify some of these very subtle aspects. And quantifying them is indeed what is, um, I think, um, important and, and vital to start tackling these issues head on. Thank you. And that's part of our mantra for what we're trying to accomplish on the show today, Aniela. Very well put. Our topic is gender pay equality, how to make real progress. Before I move to some comments from Dan Briskin's notes, I want to ask Dan and Bianca, anything else you want to add to what Aniela just put on the table for us? Either one of you? So, yes, yeah, sure. So um, sure. I think that really, the, I think on Aniela's point, it's really the reason why we actually decided to do an assessment of our pay practices last year. Um, our compensation team did do an in-depth analysis of our pay practices, and 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 we compared um, for each and every job at the company where there were both men and women in those jobs to determine whether or not there was any pay gap. And um, we were hopeful uh, because of the culture that we've had for many years here that um, that you know that we would not find. Um, a gap, and we were actually very heartened to, to find that, that there was no gap, that we do pay equally uh, for men and women, but it was an important step it's, uh, for us to do that to validate, um, you know, where we were, um, because, again, I do think that many companies, um, uh, you know, are reluctant to engage in that type of analysis for fear of, you know, what we may or may not find, and the lawyers may say, don't, you know, don't do that because you'll need mm-hmm. to, you know, to do something about it, so... Um, so I do think that for us, um, you know, our validation that we were paying men and women equally was an important component of our feeling like 
um, you know, where we want to be in terms of a leader in this area. Dan, thank you. And I just have to mention to our audience that Dan holds a JD degree. Uh, interesting background, Dan. You, you have a JD law degree from the University of Minnesota as well as a bachelor's in broadcast journalism. And you were previously a labor and employment attorney. So you're the perfect one to talk about this. I'm sure when the, when the current attorneys look at you and say, hey, we got to watch out for Briskin. He's a JD. He really knows his stuff. Absolutely. Uh, but, well, I, but, I, uh, <laughs> I refer to myself as a recovered lawyer. So. Uh-huh. I hear that they mostly become mediators, but that's what I hear here on Long Island is recovery, recovering lawyers become mediators now. And, but maybe they join companies like yours. Very interesting. Bianca, any thoughts on this before I go into Dan's notes, please? Yeah, just real quick. I think what I, what I love what I'm hearing is that um, what data is enabling us to do is take the emotion out of a topic that tends yes. to be very emotionally charged. And what happens when it gets overly emotional is that people sort of either give it less credibility, dismiss it, or think it's not really a big deal. It's less factual. So I love the data component because it gives – it gives a little more, um, I, I guess, assertiveness to the issue. And it really reminds me of where the, um, where diversity came from, right? Diversity came initially as a compliance initiative here in the United States. We look at affirmative action, et cetera. And so the fact that we've had to put together um, really data-oriented um, parameters to make changes, particularly in the U.S., is not new. And so I love that this data side is giving it just a little more, again, assertiveness so the issue gets a lot more credibility. I'm loving that. Thank you, Bianca. Dan, I'm, I'm poised to jump into some of your notes. I love statistics, and we talked about getting the facts, but I have a question for the whole panel. Something occurs to me. I don't know if we've level set on this show yet with Aniela and Dan and Bianca. My level set comment relates to the fact that are we talking about women at every echelon, every step up the, what we used to call the, the corporate ladder in big companies in terms of gender pay inequality? Are we talking about women at, in lower, perhaps, uh, manufacturing jobs or entry-level jobs? In other words, is there inequality? Aniela, I'm going to approach you with this first. Is there inequality in very, very high-up executive jobs? Is it that blatant today? What do you observe from the EDGE Foundation? So, Bonnie, here is the, the, the most surprising fact that I think, you know, it's, it's not known enough. There is uh, a pay gap at every single stage in a woman's professional career and it, mm. at every single level of the corporate ladder. So that, you know, 15 uh, at the global average cents per hour of pay gap or 25 uh, in the U.S., it's composed by um, an almost negligible pay gap in the young professional years, and it's increasing with experience, seniority, and age. So mm-hmm. let, 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 me, let me put that in, in some figures. So in the U.S., I was just um, looking at some statistics that were published by the Center for the American Progress. The gross pay gap for the young professionals, the gender pay gap for young professionals, which means 25 to 30 years of age, is $1,800. For experienced professionals, five years before retirement, the gender pay gap is $15,000. US So the more experienced, the more senior professionals we are talking about, Unfortunately, the higher the gross pay gap seems to be. I'm shocked. I had no idea, and that's why I'm glad we're talking about this. Dan Briskin, any comments? 
Um, so I can only speak to GAP um, for sure, mm-hmm. and um, I can say that um, you know when we looked at that, um, we at GAP we saw no um, you know no disparity you know, when we logged, looked at level versus level and people sitting within the same jobs, but. Um, but again, um, obviously, we've all seen the statistics that are out there more generally, and um, uh, you know, I, it doesn't, I guess, completely shock me. Um, you know, as people are moving around, and you hear the, you know, you hear the the, you know, the stories about, um, you know, whether um, you know men versus women negotiate a certain way, et cetera. Um, again, I think companies to be able to combat that. Um, you know, should do as we do, and that is we pay for the job um, and we pay mm-hmm. for the experience, and, and that's what our focus is on. And the other thing, I guess, to, to kind of get at that is that when you talk about metrics and how do you make sure that you're staying on top of this is, um, you know, every year um, our managers are provided information about their teams, where each individual sits in the market, um, for their job um, and vis-a-vis their, you know, their colleagues, and we set aside a specific bucket of money that is designed to um, to close any inequities that might exist between people sitting at the same level. So that's a good way on an ongoing basis to continue to make sure that there's pay equality within within a level. Thank you. Very, I'm I'm still shocked by what Aniela shared. Bianca, any comment on this? Any informa- insights? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I love this question, Bonnie. So the, I think the, the key question is, you know, at any point in time, is there is there parity between men and women? And the answer is, is no. There is no point in a career, uh, early or late stage, that men and women are all caught up. And in addition to that, there is no um, difference, per, per se, uh, in that, you know, higher, higher occupations don't see a pay gap. That's incorrect. Every single um, background, occupational level, Pretty much everything you can imagine, there is always a persistent gap. And I uh, took a look at some of the Department of Labor statistics, and I pulled a list of the occupations um, from the 2014 U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics chart. There's about 600 occupations listed there. And of those 600 occupations, women are less than men in all but seven of those. And so it's pretty interesting to think about that. So these occupations also reflect uh, another alarming um, point of view, which is that that despite the differences in the types of jobs men and women are choosing, women are still earning less than men in male-dominated occupations like managers, software developers, those sorts of things, but also in jobs that are typically filled by women, like teachers, like nurses, like receptionists. So not only are they suffering a pay differential uh, at, at male-dominated, but also female-dominated positions as well across the board, all levels. I'm I'm still sitting here in shock. I maybe we should have started the show with the facts before we we got into the conversation, <laughs> but I'm sure glad it's coming out now. I try to ask the good questions. Thank you all. Let's move on a little bit. Um I have a very telling comment here from Dan Briskin at Gap Inc. Uh, interesting enough, Dan talks a little bit about in his notes. I don't want to get into this, but the Gap, Gap Inc. was started by a woman and her husband, and they went in as equal partners. So women have always been vital. But here's the comment from Dan. He says, what's good for women is good for business. And now let me add a couple facts. Dan says more than half of college and graduate students are now women, and they will account for the majority of our skilled labor force going forward. In 2013, which was just two years ago, women aged 25 to 34 were more than 20% more likely than men to be college graduates. I'm going to stop there. Dan, you want to throw a few more facts at us? This is fascinating. 
Well, well, absolutely. Um, and I, I think it kind of comes down to looking at where the workforce is going and the demographics of the workforce is going. And the other thing I would say is that um, at Gap, we also look at who our customers are, and we know that a the vast, a very heavy majority of our purchases are made, uh, those purchasing decisions are made by women. So we feel like it's an imperative for us to not only um, be a destination for an employer, for as an employer, but obviously as a consumer that we have to have a workforce that's going to reflect that. So, um, so when we say, and it's sort of become our mantra here, is what's good for women is good for business, is that when you, when you adopt um, approaches and policies that are, um, you know, viewed as something that may be beneficial for women or to be enable women to either stay or progress in the workforce through whatever life throws at you, those kind of approaches are actually going to be helpful and beneficial and attractive to everyone. Let me give you a really specific example. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, a number of years ago, we adopted a flexible work arrangement called ROW. It's a results-only work environment. And basically the concept is is that we don't really care where you work, where you get your work done, when you get your work done. We are going to focus only on results. So if you decide that you wake up that morning and you want to work from home and you're going to, you have, your work day would accommodate that, you know, have at it. Go for it. And what we found is that obviously that kind of flexible approach is going to be a very attractive to anybody who has um, maybe childcare responsibility or, or other kind of responsibilities uh, in their life. Um, and so, and again, as we know from the studies, women tend to have a disproportionate share of that caregiving responsibility. But what we found is that that flexibility approach not only has appealed to women, um, it has become a real differentiator for us in the war for attraction of talent, and the men here uh, love that approach too. So, again, when you look at kind of how you're going to, you know, how you're going to approach your employment environment, um, the things that are actually, you know, traditionally thought about as benefiting women are actually going to halo to benefit everyone and going to help you attract the greatest talent. Thank you. Bianca or Aniela, thoughts on what Dan just shared with us? Some interesting numbers here. I, I think that's Bianca here. I think one thing, Dan, that I love about what you're saying is that it, it really encapsulates this concept of retention as well. I think Thinking about the entire employee, bringing your whole self to work is critical. And for women in particular who do shoulder that disproportionate amount of, of the caregiving for families, you know, it's important to think about the work environment that's going to be supportive of the realities of the, of the day-to-day of your employee. And so I love that that also is then lending to retention because, then of course, that feeds into then a, a more diverse core of employees who are loyal and sustaining, in this case, the, the gap values and brands. Uh, which is which is wonderful. So I want to just make sure I point that out, that retention is also the uh, unintentional and, and awesome opportunity that comes out of the great stuff you guys are doing there at GAP. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Aniela, thoughts? Because I want to get into something very controversial here in Bianca's notes, but I want to give Aniela a chance to comment. Any thoughts? I think that in, in what Dan just shared, he, he made a, a crucial point. Um, it, Pay equity and gender equality in the workplace in general, it's about negotiating at home and negotiating in the workplace. So when he mentioned about, you know, how do some of the 
caregiver responsibility get uh, shared more equally and how that is important to establish pay equity. I think that that's a, a very important comment because what happens here is that the, typically the caregiver responsibility, it's, it's a work, but it's an unpaid work. And we happen to live in a society where the unpaid work is not valued in the same way as the paid work is. So in, in order to reestablish uh, somehow that, that the balance uh, of what's going on in the, in the workplace, we need to make sure that men and women um, have equal shares of paid work and unpaid work. And that's, I think, the real um, level uh, playing, uh, that, 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 that levels the, the playing field for, for men and women. Thank you. Very, very interesting insights. I want to tackle something here, as I said, uh, I think it's a little controversial, in uh, Bianca McCann's notes. Uh, Bianca, you said maybe this gender pay gap topic is just a feminist conspiracy. You just put it out there. Let me read one sentence, and then we'll have you talk about it. You say, at times, the topic of the pay gap is cast as a feminist platform or even a conspiracy, but it's really important we get something clear here. The pay inequity between men and women is shrinking, but the things we have been able to blame this pay gap on in the past are beginning to slip away, and the delta is becoming harder to explain. Ooh, talk to me. Bianca. Thanks, Bonnie. Yeah. So, gosh, is it a feminist conspiracy? Um, I think not. So... Um, the reason I wanted to put that concept out into the atmosphere here is that we often like to assume that it's women's life choices or poor life choices that are contributing then to lower-paying jobs. Um, the fact that they're stepping out to care for children is relegated as a choice that they make. But what we continue to find is that, you know, economists continue to find is that 40% of the pay gap is associated with discrimination. We can only explain 60% of the pay gap, literally, um, between workers, like education, the choices that they make. That is only explaining 60% of the pay gap. So 40% continues to sit out there. We call it the unexplained gap. So for those who, who think this could be a feminist conspiracy, I really challenge our, our thinking around what is that 40%? How are we contributing to that? What are the things that we can do to, to change that? Um, so let's talk a little bit about the choices just briefly. Um, the choices that girls and women make about education, about family, these sorts of things um, are really found in cultural norms, right? Let's be honest. That's the sociologist uh, in me coming out. That's my undergraduate degree. And what we, what we attribute that to that is, well, this must be the real cause of the pay gap, the choices that they're making. And the reality is it's true. Anyone who steps out of the workforce, male or female, will experience uh, some implication of that choice, right, typically showing up in, in decreased earnings. However, even when we control for all of the factors, and Aniela um, suggested this earlier and showed this earlier, even when we use statistical models and control for all factors, women continue to have this unexplained gap that economists say must be discrimination. Thank you very much. Well put. Uh, we have, let's see, I have exactly five minutes left to the end of the show. I'd like to get Aniela and Dan to each take a 30-second just 30 seconds each to respond to what Bianca said because it's very, very important. And then I'm going to give you each exactly one minute for your predictions, fast-forwarding to 2020 or any future time, what you think will change on this topic. So, Aniela, 30-second response to Bianca. Go ahead. I couldn't agree more. 
pay inequities do skew career decisions for employees who make career decisions in consultation with their partners because they simply try to maximize family income. So, yes, um, there are implications uh, that are beyond the workplace um, that, you know, need to be corrected. Thank you. Dan Briskin, 30-second response to Bianca, and then we must quickly go into predictions. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously it's hard to explain the numbers um, and the disparities, particularly as you get higher uh, up into the ranks of uh, leadership. And obviously the numbers about how many uh, female CEOs we have, um, uh, you know, is, is, is difficult to explain, which obviously... Uh, means that um, we need to have processes and policies and approaches and cultures uh, at companies that will actually permit people to make choices um, and be able to lean in when they can and perhaps lean back when they need to, and that that shouldn't be detrimental to their career progression. Thank you. Very well put. Guess what? Predictions time. I think we're down to 45 seconds apiece. That's all we have. So I'm going to start with Daniela Ungarisen. Please give me a prediction time, a future fast forward. What do you think will be different about the topic of gender pay equality or not equality at a future time? 45 seconds. Daniela, go. Well, I can only hope that um, in 20 years' time, a pay inequity and gender pay inequity will be regarded as smoking in public places is today simply unthinkable. Oh, what a beautiful analogy. <laughs> I did see a couple people lighting up in Times Square when I was there over the weekend, and I, I have to say I was shocked. What? A cigarette in public? Give me a break. Dan Briskin, 45 seconds. Predictions, go. Wow, that one's a tough one to follow, but I, I yeah. have to say that I, I do think that kind of keeping with the theme of what I've been talking about is that I do believe that the increasing presence of women in the workforce coupled with uh, what the demands of the millennial generation expect, and we didn't really talk about that, but increasingly no. millennials are going to be, you know, by 2025, they're going to be 75% of the workforce. They they grew up with this notion of equality, and I think the fact that they're going to be taking a more prominent role uh, in our companies is going to change the game and hopefully, again, take this issue off the table, much like Aniela said. Thank you. Well put. And Bianca McCann, I saved, oh, let's see, yeah, 45 seconds for you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, in my crystal ball. Um, so, you know, they say if we do nothing, we just keep going how we're going today, we won't actually close the pay gap until around 2050. But what I think is happening on shows like this, Bonnie, and all around the world, in the discussion, and those discussions will lead to action. And I guess the, the only way we can really make progress more quickly is if each of us, at the end of the show today, go away and say, what's the one thing I can go do? What's the one thing I can ask a question about? And what's the one thing that doesn't feel right that I want to learn more about? Um, taking taking an active um, space in this space will actually allow us to close the gap more quickly. But I do think it's going to take a while. Uh, I do think it's that 2050 uh, is an unfortunate uh, statistic, but hopefully we can maybe maybe we can have that. Who knows? Uh, maybe it won't be uh, you know 20 plus years from now. We'll see. 
Thank you very much. All articulate predictions, Aniela Ungarisen at EDGE Certification Foundation. Thank you so much. Certified Foundation, thank you. And a thank you to whoever is tweeting at EDGE underscore C-E-R-T. Great tweets. Dan Briskin at The Gap, thank you. And thanks to the people at Gap who helped get you on this panel. Very much appreciated. And Bianca McCann at SAP, great panel. Shout out, of course, to our executive producer, Jenny Dearborn, wherever you are in the world, and to Brad, our guru engineer at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Been an interesting topic. A lot of food for thought here. If your company's having a problem with gender gap in terms of pay and any other kind of equality, it's time to stop, look, and think. You don't want to be there in the, in the next couple of future years. You want to stop it right now and, and take a more thoughtful approach. I think we need to do a part two on the show. I don't know how my panel feels, but I'll talk to you off air about that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. What are you waiting for? Fasten that seatbelt right now and go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow on Coffee Break with Game Changers, 11 a.m. Eastern. Bye-bye. <laughs>